topics and music that affect your life from Universal Broadcasting Network. Tune in at UBNRadio.com. This is One on One with Jasper Cole, Hollywood's bad guy, and so much more. Actor, talent manager, producer, and more. Now he's sitting down with today's top newsmakers from entertainment, politics, pop culture, and beyond. This is One on One with Jasper Cole. Wow, wow, wow. That's quite an uh, audience we have there. Howdy, everyone, and welcome to the premiere episode of One-on-One -on -one with Jasper Cole. This is your host, Jasper Cole. And I would say coming to you live from Sunset Gower Studios in Hollywood, California, but as fate would have it, being a uh, thankfully a working actor, I was uh, called a, a last minute on a, uh, a nighttime commercial shoot. So I'm in uh, beautiful Sherman Oaks, California, uh, live on location. And uh, but thanks to technology and my wonderful uh, producer, Mr. John Williams. Hi, John. Hey, Jasper. How's it Thank going out so there? Oh, my God, it's hot as hell. But I wanted to say <laughs> to everyone that we did try to do a Skype. Mm -hmm. We did actually have it set up so that I could actually be seen. Um, and we, we had it all going and then it just crashed. So uh, technology has let us down. But. I can be here on the phone. The most important thing is, John, you're there in the studio. I am, and the guys uh, are here with us. Yes, yes, absolutely. I want to also thank uh, Dominic Friesen, my producer and publicist, and uh, Tony Sweet for this new opportunity. I want to thank all my loyal listeners and, and viewers for my other show, On the Set with Jasper Cole. Thanks for uh, taking this adventure on this new uh, show with us. Everyone, please follow us on our new Twitter page, one on one J. Cole, Facebook, one on one with Jasper Cole, and my website, jaspercole.com. So, mm -hmm. okay, enough about that. <laughs> Without further ado, it is with great honor that we welcome our two premier guests, Mr. Paul Katami and Jeff Zarillo. Hey, guys. Hey. How are you doing? Oh, thank you, live audience. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, luckily, the, the viewers can see your handsome faces and, uh, Thank you guys so much for coming in, and it's been, as you know, a very historical time, uh, especially the last uh, week, and last Friday the Supreme Court, of course, made gay marriage legal in all 50 states, and hooray for that, of course. Um, I'd like to also say happy uh, second anniversary to you guys. Oh, thank you. Because we know you had your, uh, I think on the 28th was your two-year wedding anniversary. Yes. That is right. And as probably most people know, and if they don't know, you guys were plaintiffs in the historical Prop 8 uh, case that eventually led to uh, gay marriage in California. Um, but I, So I'd like to say thank you, because my husband and I, Dennis, were able to get married October of last year, so we're coming up on our one-year anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Um, I don't know if enough people thank you guys, because, you know, if it weren't for you and your case, we wouldn't be... Uh, in California getting married, and we at that time we didn't have the Supreme Court making it a, a federal law. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, that's very generous of you. We, uh, we love hearing those stories because um, everyone who said, you know, hurry up and wait on this, we said no because people need to get married, and it, it definitely benefits their lives, and one day more is one day too long. So we're very happy to hear that, and almost one-year anniversary. Happy anniversary to you both. <laughs> oh, well, well, thank you, thank you so much. And, you know, it's interesting – 
that's a great thing I want to jump into. You know, uh, I, I don't know if you guys experienced this, and now we're going to be hearing it more that it's legalized in all 50 states. But within our own community, you know, there were times when people would say, well, what's the point of getting married? We have domestic partnerships. You know, we've already gone to attorneys and we've, we've had all these uh, documents drawn up. And, and what's, what's, the, what's the point? And to that, what, do you, what would you guys say? Well, just listening to you describe the domestic partnership and the fact that you have legal protections and we went and did all that stuff. Nobody does that when they're getting married. You know, nobody celebrates a domestic partnership anniversary. You know, there's 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 none of that. But everybody celebrates a marriage. And with the marriage, you know, with the global term of husband and the global term of wife and the word marriage, everybody knows what that means. They know the level of commitment that that couple has shared uh, when they've taken the next step in their relationship by, you know, proclaiming their love and commitment to one another in front of their family and their friends. That's what marriage is all about. Domestic partnership just sounds like a... A legal contract, and that's really what it is. And it, it, it is it relegates you to a level of second class citizenship of you know separate but equal. You know, and don't forget, exactly. don't forget that a domestic partnership also didn't afford you the federal laws that you were prohibited as well, which are huge, over eleven hundred of them that you were still prohibited from. And also, you know, it's not cheap to go out and hire an attorney to make all these, you know, the paperwork in terms of your, you know, your will and DNRs and, and all of those things cost. And many people can't afford that. So what you're saying is, oh, domestic partnership, it works if you can afford to go out and get a domestic partnership and then afford to go out and hire an attorney and make sure you're having these protections. Or you could go down to your local courthouse, you can file for a license, you can have a justice marry you and it could be over um, and you're protected equally. And that's that's critical. Absolutely. And, you know, you're hearing a lot uh, lately, and I actually use this term, and, you know, why should we be second-class citizens in terms of why should we have to do these other things, like we talked about, paying attorneys? And, and you know, just for example, recently, unbeknownst to me, Dennis and I, just by being married, we had recently sold real estate. We saved a shitload of money <laughs> oh, yeah. on property gain, you know what I mean, that we would not have gotten as domestic partners um, that was just one example. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that's why you run out and get married to save right. money on your property gains tax. But I mean, we've been together 18 years, so oh, you know, at a certain point, we're looking to make it as financially <laughs> viable as possible. Also, but that was just an example where I thought, you know, that's wow. If we weren't married, we'd be stuck with that extra forty thousand dollars. Yeah, that that would be terrible and and like you said it's not a reason to go out and get married but it's an important part of any relationship you know it's owning a home is a big step in someone in your relationship or in your your marriage and um to be able to take a gain on that should you sell that and move to a place that's uh less expensive you you should realize that gain that's something that that we all want to be able to take advantage of it and and filing your taxes uh jointly as married isn't necessarily a good thing. I mean, you right. actually get the marriage penalty now <laughs> that you're that you're gay married. You know? We found that out as well. That's right. <laughs> but I think I think the benefits, you know, outweigh the uh, the other side. Oh, uh, sure. But it's, it's interesting. I have to tell you guys. Well, everyone. First of all, we're talking to Paul Katami and Jeff Cirillo. Uh, they also have their own radio show called The Husbands on Sirius XM Out Q106 uh, Fridays at two o'clock. I love the fact that you guys have this great tag of being uh, accidental activists. Mm-hmm. 
and everyday advocates. I, th- that to me is so um, wonderful, and I wanted to sort of talk about that because now you're hosting a radio show, and whether you sort of probably like the term or not, you are celebrities um, <laughs> in, in, in the community, um, be it accidental or not. Right. You guys are making, you know, you're well-known, you're doing speaking engagements, and you're out there in the community. Looking back now, uh, back when this all began for you guys, can you believe what's happened to just your personal life in terms of, and then how it's affected you professionally? Well, you know, it's what's interesting about it is we honestly do, like, you know, you meet people, and, and they, like you like you did at the start of the show, they like, thank you for what you did, and we just say, listen, you know, we, we got to merge at a time where it was safer and easier for us to stand up and be part of this. I mean, we're the first ever, ever federal lawsuit, so, you know, that was scary, but the fact of the matter is it was quite accidental. We, um, after Prop 8 passed, we just stood up and said, you know what, enough is enough. Like, we don't want to be treated like this anymore. And we actually did a, a video response to a commercial from the National Organiza- Organization for Marriage. We put it up on YouTube. It, it really became this kind of ripple effect of this idea that we have to fight by using our truth to overcome these misconceptions, these lies and misrepresentations of our community based on these people who are against this. And, and we used marriage as the vehicle to get there first so that we could make sure that we're protected. So, you know, it's, it's, it's humbling in a lot of ways. It's changed our lives quite a bit. You know, personally, it gave Jeff and I an opportunity to really talk about marriage. Like, we're like, hey, we got, if we're going to get, we're going to fight for this. We're going to have to be married. And, and what does that mean? So we were able to then define what marriage meant to us. And, and all that did was really align with the definition of marriage as a whole, um, not change it, not redefine it. It was we wanted to be a part of that institution. And our everyday lives, you know, we went back to our everyday lives. We really mm-hmm. didn't. We Every day after a court appearance or a ruling or a media day, we went right back to everyday life because that's what we end up with, um, even though now we have the benefit of marriage. And if you see, uh, it, it, and if you're on social media, whether you're on Facebook or Twitter um, or any of, any of these avenues that people can use to get stories out there, uh, you, you see this accidental activism happening every day in our community, whether in all 50 states and around the world, you have people coming out there and sharing a part of their story or something that happened to them within their relationship or even outside of the relationship with their family and their or their coworkers or their neighbors or their church. These are stories that then ultimately proliferate and and it, it be, they become newsmakers. And that's really what we ultimately did with our story was we, we wanted wanted to be to it was more of a cathartic exercise for us we were frustrated with prop 8 we were frustrated with the lies and the misrepresentation that that this national organization for marriage which sounds like an incredible organization right. that everyone yeah, would right. want to be a part of but of it's course. really this anti-gay um, uh, um, organization that has now taken their battle international because they're losing stateside. So mm-hmm. um, we still encourage this accidental activist. We talked about on our show quite often um, uh, that we need to continue to highlight this and we need to continue to, to encourage people to be out there on social media telling these types of stories. Well, which brings me around to the uh, amazing documentary Case Against Eight. Congratulations on being a part of that. Um, that for me was eye-opening, riveting. There was there was so much in the documentary. I think that a lot of people were just dumbfounded by. I mean, in terms of who was funding Prop Eight, you know what I mean. There right. was just so much in that, and 
were you did you learn things as well i mean even though you were part of the documentary could you believe the the extent that the hatred went towards trying to defeat you know what i mean trying to go against gay marriage i was blown away by it what the documentary really helped to expose was um what happened at trial um mm-hmm. uh, judge walker uh, there was really many people don't know this this case was never supposed to have a trial it was supposed to be a series of motions some some appearances by the plaintiffs and everything would be would be handled that way and when judge walker started reviewing um the briefs filed by both both sets of attorneys uh for and against the prop 8 initiative um he started to 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 wonder why we weren't having a trial while we weren't putting on experts and submitting evidence so people could see the true you know in our opinion what was the true animus behind proposition 8 so by having a trial um, it allowed both sides to to put up um, their side of the case and as soon as the proponents of proposition 8 got into the courtroom that's when they struggled to articulate any type of coherent argument and <laughs> witnesses that David Boyce had had deposed ultimately dropped out of the trial. Their one chief witness um, who whose master's was in Victoria cabinet making um, ultimately after having his his uh, his testimony questioned by the judge a year later came out in favor of marriage equality and and their lawyer Chuck Cooper said the three most famous words at trial when when Judge Walker asked him what harm um, same-sex couples getting married would have for an opposite-sex couples relationship. He looked at the judge and said, I don't know. Mm, Wow. Well, let me ask you, I mean, having gone through dealing with the legal aspect of this now, I've been on some legal situations in the last few years, too. What is your take now on the legal system in general? I mean, were you astounded at how it, how corrupt it can be and, well, allegedly corrupt, let me say that. But were you just blown away by, it's really like, it's almost like a sporting event. Well, I you know? mean, we, we, on, we understand this, and this is, I think, why we um, aligned with the strategy and with the team that was putting this lawsuit together. The law is the law. It's black and white, mm-hmm. and it should protect everyone. And if you read the Constitution, it applies to all Americans, right? Not just the few, not just some, <laughs> and not because you're building a fence around a certain group of people because your bias happens to be associated to your faith or belief system. So we fundamentally, we understood this. And when we first met with our lawyers, and by the way, our lawyers, I mean, talk about erasing the lines of political, making mm-hmm. this a political issue. You know, David Boyce and Ted Olson coming together, prolific Supreme Court um, attorneys, and coming together to say, we affirm the Constitution. We affirm the 14th Amendment. This is what it's about. Right. Now, for a long time, we had been battling this kind of idea in the public sphere of, you know, what our lives were about. You know, you look across history, and we're just constantly up against the battle of people demonizing. Us, right? right, but they're demonizing these ideas either for political gain or whatever it may be. And if you go back to it, you look at it; it really is for gain. It's really not for anything uh, a, a good in terms of humanity. It's political gain or financial gain, mm-hmm. it's, whatever it is. It, it was not legitimate to to put a law in effect that would then prohibit people from having the same rights. So we thought the legal system was quite brilliant in during this process because what it did is it took those people who used these lies and misrepresentations, it put them on the witness stand and said, prove it. Give us a legitimate reason why you should prohibit people from having the same right. And like Jeff said, their, their key lawyer, when asked that question, said, 
I don't know. The reason was I don't know. And that was in a federal court of law, full courtroom, gasps all around because there was the moment for you to define why you were there. So ultimately, the legal process really worked because during that process, we were able to build an education platform as well. And that platform was able to give um, everyone an idea of what our stories were, what the human side of this was. Mm -hmm. And more and more, we saw people coming out and telling their stories and how their lives were damaged by not having the rights associated to marriage. And we were moving the needle not only because we knew the law needed to protect us, but we also moved the needle in the public sphere, in the public court of opinion. And that's, I think, what led us to uh, last week's ruling in the Supreme Court. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, just dealing, staying on the topic of California, you know, I, I used to have people from my home state of Georgia and people around the country would say to me, well, you know, what's wrong with California? I thought you guys were this really liberal state. You know, why are you having such a hard time passing gay marriage when you have Vermont and you have these other states that you would seemingly think were not, you know, as hip and progressive as California? I I think what the documentary shows in a brilliant way, too, is just how all the components that were working against you know, gay marriage in California. And I think a lot of people don't realize, too, there's a large part of California that is Republican and conservative. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah, I mean, we were stuck with Schwarzenegger for two terms. <laughs> Who did veto I mean, marriage equality, had the opportunity to, to yeah. sign it in the law and, and decided to veto it, but, but ultimately um, decided he would not defend Proposition 8 in, in court. And I can tell you that just staying on the topic of the documentary, Paul and I have had so many people come up to us and uh, tell us their stories of coming out and that after they came out, they played the documentary for their parents. Um, mm. We had an individual, individual come up to us uh, a week or so ago and was telling us about um, his Mormon cousin who, who took his own life a few years ago mm. and wished he had, hadn't, obviously wished he hadn't taken his life and, and he was, uh, wished he was alive today so that he could see that not only the progress that we made, but he could have used, helped use the documentary um, in his own circumstance. And when you hear things like that and you realize, and, and as we have through this whole journey, is that the Paul and Jeff story and the Chris and Sandy story is the Sandy is the story of, of all gay and lesbian people. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important that, that we, we were able to take a stand because we knew that if we won, thousands upon thousands of couples would also win. Well, you know, talking about Friday and the history being rewritten and everything was, I don't know for you, but for all of us, you know, I kept telling my husband, Dennis, you know, we it always looked good. I mean, it looked like it was going to go our way, but I don't know if I'm just from being in show business for too long. I'm just always waiting for the other shoot to drop. So where were you guys when you actually heard the the decision and obviously you weren't surprised. I know you were relieved, but was there a part of you that was thinking, you know, this is not a a given that it's going to pass? I'll let Paul answer that because Paul seems to probably have a very similar personality to you then with regards to the, (laughs) he was always a little, I was always the one that said, we're we're not going to lose. We're not going to lose. He was always a cautiously optimist. I I was always cautiously optimistic because I wanted Mm -hmm. us to be prepared in either. You know, we didn't know for sure. We always felt good about it because listen, the other side didn't have a legitimate argument regardless of what they tried to do. We always knew along the way that, okay, listen, that none of this made sense. So, you know, we, we did the same thing. We listened to the oral arguments at the Supreme court with these cases. 
cases um, uh, in March. And we thought, okay, we didn't lose that one, but you never know. And listen, it could have been a better ruling, right? I mean, we, well, we could have more gotten equal protection. equal protection on this, which we didn't get because we still have a lot of work to do. But anyway, we were at home. It was 7 o'clock in the morning, obviously. We we had thought about, do, do we go to Washington? But then they added that Friday the 26th date, and we thought, well, what a poetic day mm-hmm. to do it because Lawrence v. Texas came down on the 26th of June. DOMA was struck down on the 26th of June, and we got the final word from the Supreme Court on that same day. That's the day that we actually walked down those Supreme Court steps um, to thousands and thousands of people, just knowing that they could now um, affirm that uh, DOMA was dead and that Prop 8 was dead. And so we thought, okay, maybe the 26th. So we were laying in bed and uh, Jeff was on SCOTUS blog and he said, and it was funny because we, you know, you don't know what to expect in 701. It's like 701, it's marriage. And then 701 and 30 seconds, <laughs> we win it five to four. And so it was an overwhelming moment for us because, um, you know, we had we had been there. We had been in that room. Right. We had walked down those steps. We had seen those justices. And um, so it, it has to it becomes a visceral response. You just get this response. And honestly, um, there's a story about the, the weekend that uh, Jeff and I first got married. We went up to San Francisco for Pride, um, which was an emotional thing for us because I'm from San Francisco and we. We went through the Pride Parade and we, we got to City Hall for a, a party and uh, a woman came up to us and she uh, congratulated us and then she started to cry. And we, you know, Jeff had asked her at the point, he's like, why are you crying? And she said, well, I'm not from California. I live in a state where I can't have the same rights that you do now here. And it was such a sobering moment because here we are celebrating in the state of California and we are then very, very distinctly reminded that not everyone similarly situated to us had the same rights. And it created this ugly patchwork of rights that you lose state to state. And so we just doubled down in that moment and said if there's anything that we could ever do to voice our opinion, to get out there, to embrace this movement fully and now we have that. We have a triple down now because we need to go back and affirm that you know there's 29 states where you can be married on Friday and then you could be fired on Monday for being exactly. married. So we there is so much more work to do but you know listen the celebration has to happen because in celebration there's solidarity in solidarity there's stories and in stories people you know, understand just like this woman told us people will remind people that they still live in states where this you know equal protection needs to happen. A quick little uh, we were celebrating on Monday with with Ted Olson and David Boys and and our our board and uh, David spoke to the group, and at one point he said, and that, you know, these Ted Olson and David Boy's most famous, uh, one of the most famous Supreme Court trials ever in, in uh, Bush v. Gore. Mm-hmm. And so uh, David and Ted have always uh, joked about that. It's the, you know, it's the one place where they really have a significant disagreement on, on how the justices <laughs> should have ruled. Um, but they both have always said that, that this case is the most important case they've ever worked on. And uh, David grabbed the microphone from Ted and he said, I think after, after Friday's ruling, I think I can finally forgive Justice Kennedy for his, <laughs> for his vote in Bush v. Gore. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, like you said, I mean, this was a, a five to four, you know, it's it's down the party line. And I think that's why I was kind of concerned, because all it would have taken is for one person to vote against it, you know. Right. And, and again, it's sort of symbolic of what, again, politically is happening in our country, as it has been. And I guess a lot of people have said to me recently, you know, um, the gay community, you know, you guys, you, you've, you keep conquering all these things, so what's next? And like you were just saying, to be honest with you, I was very shocked to find out how many states 
that you actually can still be fired for being gay right. that are still on the books. So like you said, there's a lot of stuff left to be to be done, but I'm hearing, you know, within the gay community, and I don't know if it's generational, I'd love your take on this, but you'll hear, especially some people, maybe even 60s, 70s and older, are, are kind of like going, well, we're, we don't have our separatism anymore. You know, we used mm-hmm. to have our neighborhoods and we used to have our individual bars and now everything is gentrified and we're all kind of living as one and i always thought that was sort of the goal that we would just all blend together you know gays and straights and west hollywood you'd have all together in the castro but i do hear this sometimes of like um not wanting to lose that sort of separate identity of this is our gay community and what is your take on that, or do you, do you hear that at all? You know, we do hear that, and we hear about assimilation, right? We've assimilated mm-hmm. now. Assimilating by having the same rights doesn't take your identity away, right. right? I mean, this is a rights issue as well. So the fact of the matter is, what we would say to this millennial generation that says, we don't get it, who cares, you know, why do we, you know, why do we even have to fight for this? It doesn't make any sense. And in one sense, it's a very positive way of looking at it, right? They don't understand the, the negativity around it or the, the backlash against it. But what we always say is, like, assimilation isn't necessarily a bad thing when you're treated equally, right? And mm-hmm. that's what we're fighting for. So you take that person who talks about assimilation, oh, we're losing our identity. No, we're not. I mean, look at the culture. Look at what's happening with uh, transgender awareness. Look at what, ha- I mean, right. we are growing and what we're doing is making sure that everyone is represented and treated equally, but that doesn't strip away our character and our identity. We can still be a community, right. but what we shouldn't do is say that we don't want to assimilate and therefore we don't care. You should meet some of the people whose lives have been completely damaged um, and and some people who aren't even here because of the bullying, because of this the persecution that they uh, come under from from state you know dis- state discrimination against them, or even the nation's discrimination against them. So uh, ultimately, having the same access to equality doesn't mean that you're assimilating. It just means that you're being treated equally. And, let, and let's let's not forget too that sure we have we have won in in the courts of justice and we are winning in the court of public opinion. But just because the law. Um, suddenly becomes an ally to us doesn't strip away the discrimination. It doesn't strip away homophobia. It doesn't strip away transphobia. It doesn't strip away bullying. So we still, as much as we want, we talk about assimilation. I mean, you ask people of color if assimilation has happened, and it mm. and it has happened to some degree. But you look at what has what has gone on in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. That that discrimination and that hate still exists, and that will continue to exist. Um, for a significant amount of time, if not forever, um, in, in, in all different aspects of our culture. So it's important that while, while we talk about assimilating and we want to assimilate, but we also understand that just because you say the word doesn't make it happen because the discrimination <laughs> and the other things still exist. I'm not any less gay that we're married now, Jeff. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you know, it's true. And I talk about, you know, when President Obama was elected for his first term, you know, there was all this, I don't know, there was, I think some people believed, oh, you know, racism is going to be so much better. And of course, what it, what it does a lot of times is it sort of heightens the, the real racist to sort of bubble up mm-hmm. from underneath the ground and surface more. And I think by the second term, you know, we're seeing it more and more. And I, 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 I say to us gay and lesbian LGBT people, get ready because I believe, and we just have to be prepared for it, like you were saying, the homophobia doesn't go away. I think in some ways we need to be prepared that 
some of the real crazy hatred is going to come our way because we've been given this uh, law now of you know legal marriage. But that's okay. Right. We'll take that and we'll fight it. But I think sometimes it's it, this kind of um, freedom brings out the extreme of the prejudice. I totally agree with that, and I and 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 I would I was going to underscore that too with President Obama is I I have never seen a country so divided over race uh, mm. really since he's been elected it has got it has been heightened and it's and it seems to especially early on in his presidency seems like he was almost uncomfortable talking about it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and and now he's become much more comfortable talking about it and unfortunately it's been during opportunities when he's had to be the consoler in chief and he's you know as much as he's done a good job about that um that's still going that still exists and and I think that as a community we need to put our best foot forward to to combat that as much as possible right and i also you know i always want to give credit i always say it's 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 being in los angeles and new york and let's just say chicago and miami atlanta you know the the large urban cities uh, i i'm not going to say it's easy to be gay but let's be honest i i always want to give credit to the the couples that are living in you know 300 population town in Kansas and mm-hmm. these rural areas that they've had to, especially the ones that are out and proud and living, you know, their life. I, I feel like there needs to be more focus on those people as well. And hopefully with this passage of the new law for all 50 states, um, that more focus, focus will get paid, paid on them as well. Because I always think, you know, they're the flyover states. I, I think that's the, the real heart of a heartland of America is the cities that are not L.A. and New York. And so I give them props because I think that's when you really have to be tough and and uh, show who you are going out in public in some of these, you know, conservative Republican small towns. And I think that's where uh, straight allies come into play. Uh, mm-hmm. Our straight allies, we can't forget about how important they are. Um, whether it be your parents, your coworkers, people in your community, in your church, the straight allies are really, really important, especially in areas where um, there may or may not be a lot of gay people. Yeah, and then I wanted to speak briefly, if you if you don't mind, about this whole issue of religion. You know how religion has played into gay marriage as well. I it, it often bothers me. You know, I, I said to someone recently. You know, there are millions of gay people who are religious also. I don't, I don't know how the, you know, the religious right suddenly thought they had a monopoly on religion, um, and they constantly, you know, use the Bible to talk about marriage. It, it, marriage and religion are two different issues. You know, mm-hmm. um, that's that's. It just seems to be that the the opponents always bring in the Bible right. and religion, and I'm, I, it just never seems to stop. Listen, I come from a very religious household growing mm-hmm. up. And I can affirm exactly what you said. What's really sad about it is that they're twisting and cherry picking an idea that demonizes a group of people based on really nothing. Right. They're based, you know, it's, it's really not, you know, and here's the ultimate thing. The Constitution is our shield from the Bible if you don't believe in God's word. Right. So right. the fact of the matter is we live in a country where these protections already exist for these organized religions. And this is why you can have a mosque and you can have a Catholic church and a Baptist church all in the same block if you wanted to, because we have those protections already. 
The problem I have with this is that they're using this bias, right? This idea of discriminating against a group of people because they say it goes against their faith. You know what? We're not here to combat that in a way to change the way they feel. Feel the way you feel. Have your faith. It's it's absolutely fine, and it's protected under our Constitution. But what we can't do is take that faith, that faith-based bias and discrimination, and create a law that damages people's lives about it just because you disagree. So when these, you know... All of these different, you know, um, organizations and videos are coming out now about, you know, we're just, you know, now we're being persecuted as Christians. I'm, you know, forgive me for for being blunt, but shut the f up. I mean, shut come on, really. Exactly. The fact of the matter is here is that you're not being persecuted against. You already have these rights. You already have access, and you already have protection. If you really love thy neighbor and you just, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin type of mentality about this, then at least affirm the Constitution and allow yourself to have the discussion or the debate with that person while they're equally protected. Because while they're not equally protected, what you're basically saying is, I have, you have not, and I want to keep it that way. And to us, that does define discrimination and bigotry. That's what it's about, the majority rule over the minority. That's right. not fair. That's not equal. That's not liberty. That's not what we have in this country. So we, you know, we got tired of knocking on our neighbor's doors and saying, listen, the Bible's the Bible. Believe what you want to believe. But in this country, the Constitution is the Bible that we all live by. And why do I have to remind you of that, you know? Well, and that's, you know, that's the whole thing about look at the Republic, all all of the 75,000 Republican candidates. I don't know how many there are right now. (laughs) You know, every single one of them keep going back to this thing about uh, every state should have the right to vote. And like you said, a majority cannot rule over a minority. That's that's what civil rights is about. That's why, and it it drives me crazy because I have some really intelligent, you know, friends and that and family members even that I respect and love, and they're not idiots and they're very bright, and they'll keep going back to that. Well, we should have our right as a state to vote, and they just. Don't and then they use religion, right? And they're using religion. And you say to yourself, it's all of these religious belief, you know, arguments that are coming out now. The right to discriminate based on, you know, your uh, your firmly believe, you know, faith belief. And here's the thing about this: you you have the right to believe that in your private life. You know, we're seeing this a lot with. state employees, um, especially clerks that are there to issue marriage licenses, Mm -hmm. saying, I think I just read a story today about someone, I think, I don't know where she was from, but she resigned in Mississippi by, you know, by not allowing, you know, I don't want to do this. And I was like, listen, the fact of the matter is you take a constitutional oath to uphold the law and live by that if you were a state employee, right? You work for the government. So no one's asking you to stop believing what you believe in your personal life. But if you're going to do your job, you know, what if an atheist were to walk up to you and ask Mm -hmm. for a marriage? marriage license. What are you supposed to say? Are you going to ask them if they believe in God? No. But because two men or two women come up to you, you immediately identify and then discriminate against them. I mean, that's discrimination at its at its best. And I, and I say that because we have to start to um, expose this and ask those questions. The, the, well, and and, and let's, let's, let's be honest. Uh, most of the time, the majority voting is always going to beat out the minority. And, right. if, and if in order for the minority to win, it's going to cost you $40 million and, and, a, and, a, and a very heated campaign. And, but we have to remember is that's why we have the court system there. The courts are there to protect us, to protect the, the minorities from the tyranny of the majority. And, and you look at these candidates, these 14 Republican candidates that have 
have declared have said all these things about states' rights and activist judges, and now now we're calling them lawyers. We're not calling them judges, which is mm-hmm. to me disrespectful. But um, they're they're only activist judges when they give you a a, a ruling that you don't like. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure if it would have come the mm-hmm. other way and Justice <laughs> Kennedy's vote would have gone the opposite way, well then they would have said this is settled law now, and you know, good job for the Supreme Court. But no, it doesn't work that way, and we're you, you can. We absolutely believe that there should be a democratic process. I actually I believe very much in the ballot initiative process, but especially in California, the ballot initiative process should be reformed. It only costs two hundred dollars to file a ballot initiative, and you look at just a few months ago when this idiot in in uh, in Southern California filed a ballot initiative with the attorney general's office that was called the Sodomy Suppression Act. And if you were caught, uh, you know, engaging in any type of of gay act or gay relationship you could be shot in the head and and kamala harris actually had to take this our attorney general she had to take it seriously she had to spend her time and and the state's money to go to court and have a judge say that that this is immoral and and obviously uh, unconstitutional on its face it took some time he ultimately threw it out but uh, it just goes to show you that the ballot initiative process, um, as as much as it is, is appreciated and it, and it can actually be quite hurtful if it's not um, uh, if it doesn't live up to the integrity and the, the the spirit of the law, if you will. Well, listen, guys, I can't believe the time goes, but I wanted to congratulate you on your radio show and quickly ask you: Are you guys loving doing the husbands, and what do you guys have coming up? On uh, Friday show. Well, it's uh, thanks for asking. In fact, we are um, we are now just doing a segment of that show, a half hour a week on Lance Bass's show on, oh, on okay. Dirty Pop. We just did a, it was a special series with Sirius XM. Um, we are now hopeful that we'll get uh, our show back in full. Uh, but right now we are on Thursdays, uh, usually at three thirty. Mm-hmm. And you know we yes, do. A se- I we, listen to you guys uh, on there. Great well, job. We Great. do we do a segment that was really popular. Everyone loved called Don't Be Dumb. At dinner, and it's the five things you need to know at dinner. So, if a dinner conversation strikes up about something in pop culture or um, in politics or LGBTQ related, that you at least have the cliff notes so you can, um, you know, you can you can discuss it versus going this vinaigrette is amazing. Well, um, from what I hear, there's a there's a time slot open on uh, five in the afternoons now on Sirius because I think uh, yes. yeah. Well, that. listen, hey, you know what? You've got my vote. Slip oh. you guys in there. That's very kind. We think that we think that we brought a, a brand of, of of news to the LGBT community that was that was kind of beyond the pop culture, pop culture in some degree, but it also talked a lot about the the key things that happened that week within our community, and, and, and even now winning marriage. A lot of the stories this week have been about the southern states and the pushback, and I think that's going to be really important that people stay engaged in in this fight because the fight is certainly not over. It's certainly not over. Listen, we've been talking to Paul Katami and Jeff Cirillo. You guys, thank you so much for being my premier guest here on One on One with Jasper Cole. Uh, everyone, check out paulandjeff.com. Uh, Case Against Aid is their documentary. And uh, Twitter, uh, Katami Zarillo. Um, guys, thank you. I look forward to actually meeting you in person. And uh, keep up the fight and keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you thank for you having much. us. Good, good luck, luck on that shoot tonight. <laughs> oh, thank you, guys. And everyone, thanks for tuning in. Uh, John, thanks so much for your help. And uh, we will see you guys next, uh, next week, Wednesday, same time, same place. This is One on One with Jasper Cole. Take care. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for checking out One on One with Jasper Cole. Check out past episodes and get the latest as they're released. Subscribe today on iTunes, Stitcher, and YouTube.